everyone, welcome to our podcast. I'm Sally. I'm Linda. I'm Ming. And we're moving along. Welcome to our eighth episode. Um, we're recording this after a long day of activities, which we'll go into later. But first, let's do a weekly recap. So what did you guys do this week? Um, I actually didn't do that much. Like, I had to check my Google Calendar, and it's basically the same. Like, I've gotten into that routine of, like, class, and then work, and then class. So. Does it feel like the semesters has actually kicked up yet? Um, it's definitely picking up with my capstone class, where we have to write a bunch, and it's yeah. due this weekend, actually, so I need to get on that. But in other, in terms of other things, it's kind of just gotten pretty routine, so I really don't have that much to say. But you guys... I mean, is there anything you want to look forward to? Um, I guess actually nothing there's nothing i'm looking forward to because i'm looking forward to this weekend especially because of the conference which will this is what our whole episode is about so after it i don't really know oh i'm going to a concert next week so oh. i'll talk about that at next week's episode i guess but i'm, I'm excited for that but you guys did stuff right yes yeah. this week i had my first a lot of classes so i have my first lab that like i teach um as i stated in the last podcast and I had my first pottery class. Ooh, how are you taking a pottery class? I'm taking it through this, like, Studio A thing. So it's, like, separate from, like, an actual register class. It's, like, something I paid extra it's like for. It's center at the university. Yeah. So the, it's, like, once a week and it's two hours. And it's, like, for beginners. So we learned, like, the basics of, like, and we made a little bolt um, mm. last week. Is it, like, on the wheel, like, mm-hmm. wheel throwing? Yeah, it's on That's the cool. wheel. Yeah, and the hardest thing about pottery, like, starting off is centering your clay, and, like, like if you don't center it well, it'll be really wobbly, mm-hmm. and just centering it is, like, really annoying. It's it's so hard, and, like, if you put too much pressure on your dough, it, it still makes it too wobbly. If you don't put enough pressure, it doesn't do anything, so, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's How many yeah. more classes do you have of it? Or is it just I a one session? I think it's a 12-week Oh, class. wow, that's yeah. really cool. So, basically, the entire semester. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's, like, a supplemental stuff that... yeah. Pottery is the kind for. of thing where you can't really like, like learn it in one class. At least mm-hmm. for me, it's like I think it takes practice. You should make me a crock pot. No, I expect <laughs> a little dish, a sauce dish. I'll so. see what I learn. <laughs> My goal in this class is to make like come out with a tea set. Oh, that would be so cool. Wow. I don't know if I'll be able to do it. Love okay. tea well, set. <laughs> at the end of the semester, I guess we'll know if you succeed yeah. or not. Yeah. What about you, Linda? Um, so I booked my flight to Austin. This happened very Texas. suddenly because I got funding from the university to go to a conference. And then right after that, I was like, oh my God, like the conference is in two weeks. So I need to book a flight now. So I was like, literally only looking for like five minutes before mm-hmm. I like booked it. So that was a crazy a experience. Like it was an adrenaline rush, definitely. Um, but the other thing is me and Sally went to bar class at our school. Um, we were trying to go to like the gym classes to extract yeah. as much like uh milk all our resources it's (laughs) our last semester yeah Yeah. but that was pretty fun bar class is like a mix of like ballet and pilates Mm -hmm. kind of we do stuff with that um little ball but i think mostly (laughs) it was like uh like you're moving your glutes a lot that's what like she was talking about a bunch of like toe lifts on Mm -hmm. the bar and that really hurt my calves like they hurt yeah. so much the next day. I don't know how, like, that like, people yeah. do it because they're on their toes, like, all the time. Yeah, my sister yeah. has, like, point shoes, and she mm-hmm. does, like, that stuff. And I don't know. Yeah, she has so big calves, too, so. Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> but that was fun. But yeah. we also want to try some other classes coming up. There's, like, water or We're doing hits next week. High intensity. Um, interval, interval training. Interval training. Yeah, so, so stay tuned stay for that. Tuned. But I thought it was really interesting how um, Bar used the same, like, music soundtrack mm-hmm. as Body Pump. Which oh, really? So we did Body Pump last semester, and, like, 
I recognize we're always like lifting too. We're just lifting on our toes for that whole song. Like when the beat dropped, it was like high toes. Okay, so moving along into the into the topic of this podcast. We are going to talk about our experience this week at ECC, or ITASA ECC, which is the Intercollegiate Taiwanese American Student Association uh, East Coast Conference. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so long. But basically, it's like a conference we have every year. It's for like the, all the East Coast uh, universities and we and all the TASAs from there. We do like a b- series of workshops to, um, that talk about like Taiwanese American identity, even though like... A lot of people aren't Taiwanese there, mm-hmm. but, like, we can relate to the things because sometimes they try to, like, generalize it to, like, just Asian-American mm-hmm. identity in general. Mm-hmm. So the theme of, or the title of our podcast this time is called Love Boat College Park because, one, well, one of the sponsors of our conference is, like, the Love Boat Taipei author or the book. Um, so Love Boat is... It's actually like a real thing still, mm-hmm. but it's a summer long free for all. <laughs> according to the description in the book, <laughs> where hookups abound, adults turn a blind eye, snake blood, sake flows abundantly, and the nightlife runs nonstop. Look, it is by Abigail Hingwen. And it's uh, right, the idea of a love boat that's mm-hmm. not the actual name of the camp, right? It's like this idea of a summer camp uh-huh. where, it's like a nickname right, yeah. where like um, Asian American or Asian like Taiwanese Americans will go for the summer to Taiwan to be immersed in the culture and to like it's like a learning educational experience. Mm-hmm. But according to this author and like what she writes about in her book, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a fictional, just like a story, but it's like. Like more romance. about like romance yeah, like adventures like, a bunch of teens yeah. getting together so yeah, yeah. yeah she was one of the sponsors and a lot of times the speakers would just say love boat or like enjoy your yeah. love boat yeah, yeah. <laughs> which it kind of reflects how um ecc can be sometimes or yeah. it's it's a time of like education and like workshops but also yeah. when people just like sometimes socialize. there's romance too yeah. so yeah. Mm. romance just in pain <laughs> <laughs> anyway so the actual like title for our conference is recognize to reconnect mm-hmm. um Hashtag I recognize. Hashtag I recognize our social media campaign. Um, But I think basically it's like recognizing your Taiwanese American identity and then you can use that to like reconnect or like bridge cultures or Mm -hmm. I guess like connect within community to other Taiwanese Americans Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so ECC is kind of special for us three specifically, even though we're not like Taiwanese, like Linda's like, well, Linda's half, well, Linda's half Taiwanese, but Sally and I aren't Taiwanese at all. But we still go every year and we look forward to it every year because um, we started going to it when we joined TASA our sophomore year. And it was, at least for me, it was a time where I got to meet a lot of new people that I'd never met before. It was full of bonding. And each year is at a different college. So our uh, sophomore year, it was at Rutgers University. Last year, it was at UPenn. And it's just um, really cool to experience different campuses and meet new people. So I look forward to it every year. Mm-hmm. And then this year, it's our own campus. So it really goes full circle. Full <laughs> circle. Like last year. It's yeah. so weird, honestly, the fact that we're not traveling. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, like, it it's saved kind of, me sleep. Yeah. And it's kind of cool to be, like, the host. Even though, like, I don't really talk to the other schools people. Mm-hmm. But, like, to, sh- like, be the ones showing, like, oh, this is our campus mm-hmm. and stuff. And I think generally, the the conference is not fully over yet. We're recording this yeah. right before it ends. But mm-hmm. I think it's gone pretty smoothly so yeah. far. At least um, from the person participant end yeah do we want to start talking about um the, the workshop we're going to uh, let's start with our keynote speaker mm-hmm. so our keynote speaker was andrew Chaff, the co-founder of boba guys one of the 
um, more well-known boba um, shops, I guess, or Mm, um, it started as a pop-up. And the little bio we have about Andrew is that he's the co-founder and CEO of Boba Guys and Tea People USA, which I've never heard of. Which he never talked about. (laughs) Um, He really pushes that Boba Guys brand. Um, And he started his startup in 2011. And he went to undergraduate and graduate school at UC Berkeley. And he's based in SF San Francisco. So he came all this way to be our Mm -hmm. keynote speaker. And he spoke um, last night on Friday, uh, just opening up the conference. And I think overall, like... It was better. It was better than like than the one we had last past year. years. <laughs> yeah. I'd say yeah. um, a lot of times it's hard to be the keynote speaker because you are speaking as the first person, and mm-hmm. a lot of times other schools haven't arrived by then. Or like last night, people were coming in midway, mm-hmm. so it's like hard to like put on a, like a ceremonial like speech when mm-hmm. people like half the people aren't there. But what did you guys think of it? I think I agree that it's hard because you have to kind of encompass a lot and like include a lot of things in the mm-hmm. speech, but also make it like accessible enough mm-hmm. for people who don't know that much about Taiwanese American identity or even for people who aren't uh, Taiwanese American. So I agree that there's a lot of limitations, which I kind of saw come through mm-hmm. in the speech. Like he couldn't really go deep into any one aspect. He had, I think his main um, like takeaway was that being, was that we had to kind of be role models mm-hmm. in the community. He Another up, like, R. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is that like thing? I thought that, yeah, I agree with you. He had to bring in like some things that we've heard like many times, like the overuse. Oh, I don't I didn't feel like I fit in as an Asian American, like that kind of stuff. But I mean, while some people like would relate to it, I think it's, I mean, like for me, it's like something that I've heard a lot of times and mm-hmm. I was kind of bored of that part. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of people might be the first time hearing it so i think he did a good job in like bringing mm-hmm. in like a generalized message and like reaching out to like masses i guess and i appreciate yeah. how he did try to bring it back to the theme of this year's conference yeah mm-hmm. i feel like sometimes that can be lost like it's just a theme but mm-hmm. it's good to like recenter and like have that um, core like reason why we're here mm-hmm. so i really liked and he was like oh yeah i'm gonna add in another r for you guys to role model and like linda said i think there were limitations in who he was listing as role models mm-hmm. perhaps maybe uh, or who uh, the privileges that come with being a role model or what it mm-hmm. takes to be a role model I'd say yeah. but again like it's hard to get really deep especially when people are on so many different levels of understanding mm-hmm. like we've taken or Lynn and I have taken Asian American studies so like yeah. I, we feel like we've heard the story Sally's heard it before but mm-hmm. um, for other people maybe not so I think he did pretty good and then you guys got to talk to him afterwards right about yeah boba liberals <laughs> Okay, but do you want to explain, Linda, really briefly what it is? Oh, boba liberalism Mm -hmm. is basically like you know how like Asian people love boba, blah blah, but it's kind of a critique that that's become like the identity, and it kind of takes away the stuff that we've been fighting for, like racial equality and um, like being having like material Mm -hmm. uh, material justice and change. Um, But it's like a critique of Asian American politics, kind of being like substanceless, substanceless, and like trend chasing like we're talking about like supreme and like mm-hmm. brands and you know like edm and that kind of stuff like comes to the forefront of identity and kind of devalues um like labor organizing um like refugees these kind of things that aren't well like that don't have like the privilege of being mm-hmm. like centered in the narrative which is quite like the I guess the prevalence of entrepreneurship in this conference was kind of weird because like for the Boba Guys person, mm-hmm. he kept like plugging his yeah. like, IG, his IG. thing. Yeah, so he asked, we kind of asked him like what he thought of Boba liberalism mm-hmm. and what he thought about this critique, but then he was just like 
our boba shop is liberal or something like he was i guess um he was trying to like protect himself kind mm-hmm. of and he was bringing up all these like famous people like mm-hmm. you know, like oh i know like alexander wang and stuff like that and i think he was also trying to make himself like impervious to criticism mm-hmm. in a way because he didn't kind of know like what angle mm-hmm. we were going at because like all like companies there's always something to criticize yeah. and mm-hmm. the main thing about like trend chasing in the asian american politics community is that there's really no critique of capitalism mm-hmm. whereas like in entrepreneurship is like oh we can rise up because we're so good and not mm-hmm. because of like the systems in place but in his like support he did mention some things that he tried to do mm-hmm. like that are kind of um so like some i guess initiatives he kind of took as like um like uh, the ceo of boba guys yeah. he like started implementing like a like the bamboo straws, yeah, the bamboo like straws. being more sustainable, sustainable. Mm-hmm. and he also said he started like some movement. <laughs> Although I'm not sure, it was kind of vague. <laughs> yeah, it was very yeah. vague, but like some movement for like the Africans, like the film thing. So it was like a movie buyout or something. Which yeah, I wasn't really sure what he was talking about. Yeah, I'm about, not sure, but... but if anyone knows, yeah, we didn't really get yeah. a lot of time to go into detail in this conversation. This is from like a yeah. Like, a short snippet because there are a lot of people wanting to talk to him yeah. so we just kind of like a quick question yeah yeah i think uh the bubble liberalism that idea it, it kind of is like gray area for some because well what linda said like the idea that it's critiquing um how um asian americans ourselves like view ourselves or how we're willing to identify ourselves with or like uh subtle asian traits cause that can be a whole discussion mm-hmm. and that's a good discussion and it's good to like keep pushing us to like do more for the community and like advocate more but also it's like keeping that in mind that we are in different places mm-hmm. so yeah, it's important to meet people yeah. like where they right. are like if boba is the thing that makes you proud to be asian american mm-hmm. that's what makes you feel like more secure than like like you do it mm-hmm. you know? and so that's why i think like even though there were like flaws with the keynote speech i think it was something that we can all laugh about and relate to bubble tea and then use that hopefully as a jumping off point into like further discussion mm-hmm. i think that's up to the individual but yeah i think that's what the point of subtle asian traits too because even though the content might be superficial but you can still mm-hmm. like take something like have something to relate to and mm-hmm. use that as like a platform to i don't know plug your own agenda mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's like different states of development yeah. and that kind of sounds like con- like condescending like you're not <laughs> developed enough or something but it's true that like learning like critical cautions is like hard and we're all in like different processes mm-hmm. so yeah um so we talked about the keynote speech and then um we also said that this whole conference is about workshops and learning uh using it as a jumping off point mm-hmm. so we there are three different rounds or sessions of workshops that you can go to and each round has like different um workshop speakers within it so you have to kind of pick and choose mm-hmm. so um all three of us went to the same three yeah, right yeah. same three workshops so if do we want to talk about the first one linda oh okay, yeah so the first one we went to is vicky Yu's workshop and um she got a master's in gastronomy which is food studies from boston university and then her research focused on the impact of hunger and food insecurity in displaced people and refugees and mm-hmm. then so she also has like a modern consulting firm and then which deals with reducing food waste and sustainability projects in Chicago. But her um, workshop kind of, kind of deviated from it. Mm-hmm. It's called You Are What You Eat. And then it's looking at Taiwanese American identity through food. And basically we were in groups and we kind of talked about like what was our memory with food and how mm-hmm. that connects to our identity. And we did also did like a, 
identity walk or something、mm-hmm. where we explore different like stereotypes about being Taiwanese American, like speaking Chinese or like playing violin、mm-hmm. and things like that. So it was just like I don't know. It was a kind of basic overview of、yeah. Taiwanese American identity because I feel like we can all. Share food in common as like a characteristic of、mm-hmm. culture.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say first off,、um, I read her bio before the workshop, but I didn't see the title of the workshop.、Mm-hmm. So I think the bio had like prepped me for something else. Yeah. Maybe if I'd known the title of the workshop, I would have expected that、um, food and identity kind of talk. But I was actually expecting like more to be about like displaced peoples and、um, reducing food waste. So I was、mm-hmm. kind of surprised、yeah. when we got in, and she's like. What is your first memory of food? And I was like, oh, okay, but yeah, I I agree with Linda. It was kind of like an overview, like that.、Yeah. Like it's easy, I think, for any culture for someone outside of it to connect through food. So that's what I like about it. We mentioned、um, this in our like Taipei or Taiwan episode too. Yeah,、like、your first, I guess, impression of a culture is like through their food,、mm-hmm. or like, that's how you like. Grab people and like grab their attention and bring people together.、Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to talk about it. Yeah, it was a very approachable topic,、yeah. like not、mm-hmm. too political、mm-hmm. or like scary to talk about in identity politics. It's、yeah. pretty straightforward. So I think that was a good、um, thing. But the identity <laughs> walk, I guess, or、mm-hmm. it was based off of the idea of a privilege walk,、yeah. where like. Oh, you see how much privilege you have by like how far you step forward or step back、mm-hmm. in a line of people, basically. But it's supposed to be um based on the like stere- Asian stereotypes, right? So it's not supposed to be like actual like real things.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's supposed to be about like she kept saying that yeah, these are stereotypes. It's just supposed to help you understand that like you can form your own identity, kind of thing, or like.、Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think、um, someone was like, "It's ironic that I was like kind of far back in the line, even though I feel so like Taiwanese American、mm-hmm. or Asian American, because sometimes these stereotypes don't really apply to me. Like I speak Taiwanese instead of Chinese, and that wasn't like、mm-hmm. a stereotypical, like widely known thing.、Mm-hmm. You speak Taiwanese? No, like someone else. Like someone said that. Someone said that. I think、um, personally too, I did relate a lot to her story when she was talking about in college how she felt like she had to prove her Taiwanese ness、mm-hmm. or her Asian American ness. So she like would always order things in Mandarin, and she would only use chopsticks and things like that. And I kind of went through that phase, like scaled back a bit in high、mm-hmm. school, where I felt like. Um, I wasn't raised by Asian parents, so I had to prove that I belong in this community. So, like, I tried to learn how to use chopsticks really quickly. I like、um, wanted to eat this food. I remember talking to you guys about how like my experience of encountering like Asian food for the first time was with you guys and like wood ear, wood ear and、uh, <laughs> lotus roots and how I don't know food Asian food in particular to me is like like it's a good thing because it is the first thing I.、Um, Did or ate, <laughs> at,、mm. like learning more about this culture and the community. But like, it's also like there's a lot of embarrassment sometimes when I don't know what things are. So I kind of related to her story in that way. But then I was confused why we were doing this identity walk so publicly. <laughs> and then it's like me and like the other girl. We were just like kind of in the back. I don't know. It was.、Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I just as an introvert, I don't really I like. I think the idea is good. Yeah, but like you're like exposing yourself. Yeah, like in the the result was like not what I would expect. I guess、mm-hmm. because it's more like putting people out there like that don't meet meet the stereotypes、mm-hmm. rather than like, um, like putting shame to the stereotypes. Like、right. why are、mm-hmm. these stereotypes here? That、yeah. should be more the focus. It was really、like、a productive conversation、yeah. after.、Mm-hmm. I feel like we didn't even do like a really. 
Yeah, yeah. we were running out of time, so yeah. we didn't really have a conversation. And I feel like her intention was to critique those stereotypes. Mm -hmm. But instead, you were more highlighting the people that didn't fit in. And then, yeah. like, I heard other people and their friends be like, oh, I'm really Taiwanese. Yeah, people yeah. were, like, standing on chairs and getting really excited about, like, being further up in the line <laughs> while the activity was not it was supposed to be like that. Right. Yeah. So I think the idea was there, but, like, the execution might have... I yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess speaking of stereotypes, it's like kind of confusing because you want to break the stereotype, but you also don't want to like alienate people who can't or like don't have the opportunity or privilege mm -hmm. to be able to break stereotypes by mm -hmm. going to mm -hmm. creative careers and things like that too. Oh, I think that's something we also talked about after the keynote speech mm -hmm. was how mm -hmm. he kept saying you should be role models by like don't break be doctors don't be lawyers yeah, like yeah. break those stereotypes go get it. But then like we have people like Sally who <laughs> actually likes like being a scientist she likes yeah. going into those stereotypical like air quote fields mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like that is another isolating thing i think mm -hmm. i don't think that like being in a i don't know stereotypically asian field is something to be looked down on mm -hmm. it should be something like everyone has their own choice and as long as you're making a choice that's what you like truly want like i don't think it's something that people should look down on you for mm -hmm. even if it's not something like creative or like you're not you're not an influencer or whatever mm -hmm. like i don't think like people put too much value on like being in media nowadays that they mm -hmm. don't see the value in being just like a plain job and i think that goes back to what linda was saying earlier about the privilege to have these talks about being entrepreneurs or being influencers that requires a certain amount of privilege and like just not everyone wants to do that. That's mm -hmm. the plain fact. So yeah. I mean, we're doing this podcast as kind of like a creative endeavor, but we all come from like different backgrounds. So mm -hmm. I feel like adds value to this specific creative endeavor, mm -hmm. like with Sally's scientific um, like background yeah. and knowledge about internships and things like that. And then things like media knowledge. I feel like we can also bring more into this like creativity mm -hmm. than just like That was the whole point of the podcast. Actually, Ooh. to bring a voice to the, like, I guess like the night of, I don't think that's but like like the boring like I don't know stereotypical, like, stereotypical yeah. jobs like yeah. to bring a voice to those kind of people like who don't like, yeah mm -hmm. who aren't so maybe we should be speakers like ten years from now at the <laughs> so, so, are you <laughs> hire us. But like speaking of food, we went to another workshop. Um, the second one. Yeah, that also mm -hmm. dealt with food, but it was slightly different. So it was called Three Boys One Food. <laughs> um, this title. Yeah. First, first we eat and then we do everything else. So that's, that's really how it was. <laughs> So this is three Taiwanese restaurant owners in New York City. So it was Eric Tse from 886. And then Richard Ho was the restaurant. Ho Foods. Mm -hmm. Ho Foods. Not Whole Foods. Ho Foods. H-O Foods. <laughs> and then it was Josh from Winston Bakery. Mm -hmm. or like W-I-N-S-O-N. Yeah. yeah, we're really plugging them out here. <laughs> yeah, but they were just talking about their experiences. It was kind of informal, like Q&A. And they uh -huh. also had like a scallion pancake workshop where we had a couple of volunteers the opportunity a to couple. like oh, <laughs> for like five ten at least it was ten but they're like running up the, here the rest yeah so yeah. they're they the making scallion pancakes and that's what he was doing he so he had like a beer ball he was like rolling on he was dough. using it as a like rolling <laughs> yeah that was good representation because yeah. i do that in my house <laughs> <laughs> very homemade yeah but it was really good yeah um so we did People ask a lot of like interesting questions yeah. about how Taiwanese food can like mm -hmm. experience innovation, um, how their restaurant business worked, and I feel like it was a good insight because I, I don't really have a lot of knowledge about like the food production mm -hmm. industry, but having that like I guess representation of Taiwanese like restaurant or like cuisine, um, yeah, it was really interesting to hear their perspectives and they're really nice. Mm -hmm. 
I think it goes back to what we said earlier about the first workshop where food is just so approachable mm -hmm. and delicious. And like the fact that they were cooking in front of us, like mm -hmm. it drew a lot of um, people. Yeah. yeah. You could smell the, the scallion pancakes yeah. wafting through the hallways. I think that's why they had so many people come to yeah. that workshop. But yeah, it was, it was more of just them talking about why they decided to open up a Taiwanese um, restaurant and like their upbringing and stuff like that, which I think is good knowledge. Um, I don't know. I wish there was further discussion. I think mm -hmm. in previous years, we went to workshops where it was more like small group discussion. Mm -hmm. And I'm the type of person who like, I can't really talk in crowds or raise my hand. Mm -hmm. So like, I gain more from small group participation, but it was still like interesting to hear them talk, mm -hmm. I guess. Well, two years ago, when we went to the ECC conference at uh, Rutgers, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so we actually met Eric there too. And we had like a small group. It was like, I don't know, less than 10 people. So we actually got oh, to yeah. have like an mm -hmm. informal talk with them. Mm -hmm. But then this time there was like, I don't know, like, I don't know, 30 yeah. people or something in yeah, the there room. Was a lot. It was a lot. But it was kind of hard to like connect with them, mm -hmm. I guess, on that level. But it was still interesting to hear like their background. And like, we got to learn a little bit into like how they became chefs and like how like Taiwanese food like inspired them to open up their own restaurant so they all like had this like position how like Taiwanese food growing up it wasn't really like a luxury it was just something like, like common commonplace yeah. yeah and then but then like moving away from home made them really miss like their like food from their parents or from their hometown and so that's how they like had this idea to open up their own Taiwanese restaurant and like represent mm -hmm this Taiwanese food to like a different audience because in New York they, you don't have that many Taiwanese people and Taiwanese food isn't really this cheap like cheap everyday yeah. food anymore mm -hmm. it's more they want to elevate it to it's like mm -hmm. um so it's like approachable to New, New York consumers I guess mm -hmm. and I think um one of the audience members brought up a really good question about like um, they asked, can Taiwanese food that uh, one of the speakers called it grandma food where it's very <laughs> traditional and like your grandma makes it best kind of food um, can does it have room or space for innovation in it? And it brought up an interesting like discussion I think afterwards where we talked about he's his response was that um, he personally does not feel comfortable innovating. He wants to rather just make food that's comfort like comfort food for him. Mm -hmm. But he said that other people, maybe more classically trained people, um, chefs could um, take the recipes and elevate it more, innovate with it. And I think that's an interesting perspective because we do know someone right now who's in culinary school. Nice. Ice culinary <laughs> school in New York, and um, she's Taiwanese American. So I think, um, like, it's important to mm -hmm. still have that background knowledge, I guess, to innovate it. But they were also bringing up like one of the co-owners. I think it was Josh. His co-owner um, is white, mm -hmm. and he's a white chef, and he's making these Taiwanese recipes. So it kind of brings into question like who's allowed to yeah. make them or, or like, represent. Who's allowed to be elevated, and like, mm -hmm. where are the standards for elevation? Because I feel like classically trained is talks more about like french cuisine it's definitely like, code for white european. european yeah yeah so like why is it so important to like rise to those standards like i guess it's not wrong to like have an expensive taiwanese like cuisine and stuff like that but also the i guess the appeal of taiwanese food is is that it's cheap is that it's like fast you can find it whenever it's easy to make at home but like does that kind of devalue it in a way mm -hmm. because we know um those like white people that opened up a Chinese restaurant were like, oh, we're like cleaner than like actual Chinese restaurants. And there was like a whole controversy mm -hmm. about that. So how do we kind of like also elevate Taiwanese food in the in perception without 
like assimilating to like white standards. Or who's that? Who's that person? He was a famous white chef who opened up a. I think it was Chinese restaurant or Asian food, and he named it Lucky or something like that. And it's like, I, I don't know. It, it brings into discussion like we don't want like I don't think it's right. Like my personal belief, I don't think it's right to say like who can and can't mm-hmm. set up a restaurant serving this kind of food. Yeah. But it also brings into play like what does authentic mean, and like mm-hmm. are you allowed to claim it's authentic if you're like not authentic, authentically air quotes like Taiwanese? Yeah. Like I think that that's just. I wish we could have had yeah. that kind of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like authenticity yeah. is like in the eye of the beholder, so mm-hmm. it's for the audience to judge, mm-hmm. and they have to try the food to find out. But I guess um, my position on that is like of Ming, so I can't really say like I can't be the judge to be like, oh, you're white and you can't open up like an Asian restaurant. Like that's up to like mm-hmm. them. But if that's one what they want to do, then I think it yeah. is. If I'm being honest, though, like if we were to hear that this white person honestly we wouldn't we would be kind like, of like turned skeptical off by, yeah, yeah right um, it's kind of like another thing in academia is like white people teaching ethnic mm. studies classes mm-hmm. like when i was looking for grad schools i was going to the asian studies department like majority of them are like white and like yeah i guess that's a different thing that like chefs but i feel like it's also kind of same thing because your Taiwanese suit is so dependent on your identity and like one of the chefs was saying in the workshop like he's like risking it on his belief that his food is worth it and, like, his identity mm-hmm. is, like, mm-hmm. something valuable to be put out there and, like, introduced So to I people. guess, like, if a white person owns, like, is the one spreading this, like, culture, it's, yeah. like, you're not devaluing thing. it. Yeah. yeah. So in that way, can you say that you, you are appropriating food? Because that's a similar argument mm-hmm. that people make when um, someone who's not black or African-American puts their hairs in dreads or appropriating that because yeah. they don't face the same discrimination as um, a black or African-American person if they had their hair like that. So mm-hmm. in a similar way, like, are you appropriating food if you're a white person and you're not risking it at all, you would say, yeah. by making this but food? But also you're, like, profiting off of that's food true. that's been, like probably like like a white people lunch thing like when sally's noodles <laughs> yeah. got called worms yeah asian okay. food isn't um yeah in the first workshop the the speaker shared the story about how when she was a child she brought like these udon noodles with like mm. stir fried soy sauce so they're brown so i brought the same thing <laughs> when i was in like first or second grade and put in my like, little thermos and then like I felt so awkward. Okay, this is my, like, oh my I don't God. fit in story, but <laughs> <laughs> I felt so awkward because everyone else had, like, I don't know, like, Lunchables, mm-hmm. which that, that was, like, the thing I was most envious oh, yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and had, like, sandwiches and stuff, and, like, normal stuff. And then I had I brought on my whole, like, blue thermos and, mm-hmm. like, had, like, multiple sections that <laughs> kept them warm. And I took out my udon noodles, and they were, like, they were, like, very, like, they're not smelly, but they're very, like, the, the smell, like, it was lost through the yeah. 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 yeah, you can smell it and people were like ew what is that and like they look like worms oh. ew, what are you eating <laughs> like that kind of stuff I guess mm-hmm. it happens to everyone but it was just very vivid in my mind when she brought that up yeah. and they said the exact same like comments yeah <laughs> so. it's a very universal experience like I think my mom was like uh, Capri said it's full of chemicals and, like, <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that but. but I think that point is why maybe we're more accepting of a restaurants that are Asian owned if they're selling Asian food because like mm. a white a white person doesn't understand that necessarily or maybe they didn't have that experience and so we connect more with Asian um, restaurant owners I guess mm-hmm. I don't know that's just something to think about because yeah uh, 
after discussion kind of conversation. <laughs> yeah, but we definitely want to check out these restaurants next time. We oh, go. it is Sorry, on my I list. Out the restaurant. Well, okay, I didn't check. I didn't get to check it out because when I went, I guess it wasn't peak time, mm. so it was kind of empty. And Wait, which one? <laughs> I went to eight six. <laughs> it was empty. Well, it was like. It was, like, a weird timing, so oh. it was, like, between um, lunch and dinner. It wasn't empty. It was, like, one or two tables there, but, like, my mom and sister were not really feeling it, so we <laughs> They're I'm like, there's sorry. no one here. We'll try again next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Insider review. I definitely want to go to the Sun Bakery. Uh, I hear that they serve, like, breakfast that's similar to, like, the Taiwanese uh, breakfast we had, where yeah. it was, like, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the pork floss, uh-huh. and um, so something like that. Uh-huh. And I'm going to New York uh, in, Spring. like, a month, so wow. I'm definitely going to check them out. But should we talk about our final third workshop? Best for last. We were really waiting for this. I was like, I had sweaty palms <laughs> waiting for this. Um, do you want to give the bio, Linda? Since you've been giving all of them. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so we saw Mel, Melody from Asian Boss Girl. And so she's a Taiwanese American. She's from the Bay Area. And then so Asian Boss Girl is another podcast of Asian American women. Our inspiration. Our inspiration. <laughs> the reason why we started this podcast yeah. is ABG. <laughs> and then so she also works at the head of community for Jubilee. And that's a, a YouTube channel. And they create a lot of different videos. And I think her talk was mainly about her journey from when she was involved in TASA mm-hmm. at her university to her struggles, like breaking into the industry mm-hmm. and then getting internships, working with Wong Fu a little bit and like shooting her a shot and I guess working to where she is today and like holding on to that like creative dream Mm -hmm. Um, she just told her like origin story (laughs) I will say that um, I listened to the ABG podcast and over the episodes she has shared her story but it was really cool to just hear it in person as much in as much detail Mm -hmm. like in the episodes Mm -hmm. so this one and she had a bunch of pictures and it was really um, unique too because this was the first speaker that we had gone to that said that she had been in TASA herself Mm -hmm. when she was in college she went to U.S. Uh, SD, SD, yeah, UCSD, UCSD, and um, yeah, she was on their staff and eventually their board. And she was the way she spoke about Tassa kind of encompassed how I feel about Tassa, where it was like a community for me. Mm-hmm. So it was really nice to hear that she said that. And I, I don't know, it was nice to have like, even though she was an alumni of our Tassa, it was kind of like mm-hmm. that coming kind back. But like we could relate to a lot of the things mm-hmm. she could say. Not to be biased, but she was my favorite speaker. <laughs> I mean, not to be biased, but definitely, yeah. Yes. I think I can just relate to her. And yeah. She was really nice. Yeah, yeah, she was so nice, like, in person, like, mm-hmm. even more than I expected. Like, she was nervous, which yeah. is kind of endearing, like, because we're nervous yeah. when we do this podcast, and mm-hmm. we're all nervous um, speakers, we I think. We were so nervous so. talking to her, because mm-hmm. we talked to her a little bit at the end. Yeah. It was, yeah. I felt like it was she was so real with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But she gave us some, like, really good advice like when we had the q and mm-hmm. I feel like she had some good insights mm-hmm. because um she recognized the difficulty it is I guess to like do a creative or go mm-hmm. on a creative path and for her experience she went directly into a creative um mm-hmm. um like job I guess you would say mm-hmm. or yeah. she was trying to find a job mm-hmm. instead of doing that like nine to five or whatever and instead of being um like not condescending but instead of being like no, you should do uh, create a job yeah. and like you if have I can to, do it, you can do it too. like go out yeah. in the world. She was just like, this is my story and mm-hmm. this is what's gonna happen. So yeah. it was more approachable. Yeah, I think it was really interesting how she voiced her struggles of being like in, unemployed mm-hmm. and like struggling whether she should continue like being like pursuing what mm-hmm. she wants to do versus like her mom's like pressure on her mm-hmm. to get like a stable job. And that's something that like not a lot of people talk mm-hmm. about, especially yeah. in like the in 
media and stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, as like graduating seniors, I feel like that was oh, especially so relevant. Yeah. She was talking about like not finding a job after graduation, and she said like how hard she was like taking it and like that mm-hmm. feeling of sitting in a room and also this thing. I think my friend talked about it as being like social friction, like how hard it is to actually go out and make friends. Mm-hmm. Like for mm-hmm. one, if you're unemployed, mm-hmm. like you don't have any money to go out, and also yeah. I know in like LA or something, it's housing rates are really expensive mm. yeah also like transportation yeah. is hard so there's a lot of things keeping yeah. you from from doing that too which makes for like a kind of potentially like unhealthy or like like sad environment mm-hmm. during those times so it was important to like prepare for it, like no you're not alone and yeah i think she spoke really well on that on her own personal experience mm-hmm. of like not always succeeding or like getting that job right away and i think it edged like she didn't directly talk about it, but it kind of edged into more like mental health and i think that's um like i wish and we could talk about this later but i wish we had more variety of workshops i guess that could kind of touch on those kind of things because again like we said we've heard that like i don't belong kind of story a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. and i think mental health is something that's coming around more like more people are talking about it but um, it was nice to hear when someone actually said that it was a struggle yeah. and it was a struggle for a long time. She said she didn't get a job, an actual job until like 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to hear her talk about that and not just in like large, like theoretical terms or like, oh, and we got through it and like that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. It was way more real. Yeah, it was encouraging because I feel like um, she's talking about more podcasts that are coming up and stuff like that. So I feel like we do have like mentor figures or mm-hmm. like, I guess, like, role models yeah. to look up to. So, I guess, you know how everyone says, like, oh, everyone's a photographer. Like, everyone has a podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I don't really feel like that's a bad thing necessarily mm-hmm. that more people are creating things because it is from yourself. It is mm-hmm. original, even though a lot of people are doing mm-hmm. it because you have your own, own story. And I think she really validated that because I had that feeling, too, of, like, oh, my God, everyone has a podcast. Mm-hmm. How are we unique at all? These three Asian-American women have a podcast, so it's, like, literally the same as us. Yeah, yeah. But then when we talked to her afterwards, she really validated us and was like, wait, that's really great yeah. because you guys reach a demographic that we don't reach. Mm-hmm. Um, you, speaking from your experience as being, like, sen- graduating seniors, like, that's a perspective that they don't speak on. Mm-hmm. So it felt really, actually really great. It was nice to hear that, like, she supported that podcast, our perspective. Because mm-hmm. um, I was kind of worried, actually, that they would think we're stealing their idea. Yeah. Oh, Mm-hmm. Mel, <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to yeah. this, this is fully inspirational. Not like we're not trying to come for you, but yeah, it was it was good, and it was, like finally just seeing her in person. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. It was like uh, something we've been looking forward to for this whole like I guess the whole semester, last mm-hmm. semester, and like the beginning of the semester. Because as once we knew she was coming, we were mm-hmm. like, we have to buy tickets. Buy the ticket right now. Where's that ticket link? Because yeah. I think, like, what we said earlier about ECC being something we look forward to is true. But, like, we were definitely more, like, deep into TASA our sophomore, maybe beginning of junior year. And I think mm-hmm. as we've gone along with, like, school and academics coming in the way, like, TASA has... Well, Linda and I can't even go to the GBM meetings anymore because class, class <laughs> at night. Um, so... It was kind of, I personally was like on the edge and then I heard that Mel was coming. I was like, okay, I will go. And I'm really glad I went because this is our last year to be able to do that. And that's another thing she talked about, like to treasure this time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that we went to Tessa more for like the community of, to start off with. And once we like built our community and like know people in Tessa, we're kind of like, we're not really trying to make mm-hmm. any more friends. Mm-hmm. And we have like other things to focus on, like mm-hmm. applying to jobs. Oh my God. <laughs> But I think it's always good to come back and, like, see these people and, like, 
recognize to reconnect. Oh my know. god, bring it all the way back. We're talking about her passion for tacitly ignited. Uh-huh. Um, I guess my throwback passion. <laughs> throwback. <laughs> so are you guys excited for banquet tonight or what? Uh, so tonight we're getting ready for this banquet, which is like a full, kind of semi-formal mm-hmm. dinner with like all the attendees and all the workshop leaders and the mm-hmm. like maybe sponsors too. Mm-hmm. But it should be fun. I hope we'll be have more chances to talk to Mel. Oh my gosh, yeah. Sally already has her like questions planned no, that she's yeah. gonna bring up to Mel. But yeah, that's another like iconic staple to this conference is that mm-hmm. we end with a nice banquet and it's a time to like talk to people and I, like yeah we don't really talk to other schools honestly if i'm gonna be mm-hmm. honest it's more just like bonding within our own tasa because it's so big as it is and i feel like especially like last night i went to the karaoke event um and it was just our tasa and i was like one of the upperclassmen in the room i felt like so kind of removed from it mm-hmm. and i guess that is my own doing but it's like what happened like i was i thought i was in the group like like, just a year ago, yeah. but now, like, things move on, and it kind of made me feel like... The turnover is very fast. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's new freshmen coming in every year, and you just can't, like... And that's just how it is. Everyone. Yeah, that's but, like, the freshmen how get like the it. most out of TASA. That's true. Yeah. I feel that's like. true. Also, I really like the our, like, big little system. Mm-hmm. I think um, Mel talked about her, like, family system, but I like how student orgs have these, like, welcoming environments that really benefit people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just... Even though it, there's obviously, like, limitations to student organizations and, like, how inclusive you can be, I like how we always try to, like, center that mm-hmm. in, like, activities, programs, and you work hard for it. Yeah, I think TASA is unique in that, in comparison to other orgs on campus, maybe, how they're so focused on like, creating that community, mm-hmm. uh, those family, con- family, family mm-hmm. connections. They're really, like, like inv- focused on bringing in, like, new people in, like, having mm-hmm. opportunities to meet new people, whereas I feel like other Asian orgs, it's more about creating bonds within people that you already know and like it's not really welcoming to outsiders Mm -hmm. well on that same note i did have a discussion with stefan last night where he was kind of he felt disappointed that like i hadn't like put yourself out put myself out there or made friends and so we had to have a a conversation like as a couple i guess about like how i told him that i want to experience tasa differently than he does and like he's head in he loves tasa and Mm -hmm. like loves meeting new people but for me I want to, what I get out of TASA is what I want to get out of it. And so, like, I don't know. That was an interesting discussion that I never thought I would have to have with a partner about, like, we're both involved in something, but we both want different things out of it. Mm, yeah. And I didn't want to feel pressured to make friends necessarily because, yeah. like, I feel like I've learned from you guys, too, that, like, you guys want to do your own thing when you want to do it. And so, like, me pressuring you to do it, to stay around for karaoke or to do more things isn't, like helpful at all yeah so I felt the same way about him actually I felt like I think sophomore and junior year even like I felt more pressure to just like put myself out there and try to meet people but like now that I'm like a senior I feel I don't it's not that like I'm lazy or anything it's just like it's not like well one friend actually once told me this it's like if you don't want to be in this place like in the situation just like don't be in it Mm -hmm. like if if it's not something you want to do it you don't think it'll benefit, well, not that it won't, like, benefit me, but it's just, like, something I'm not interested in doing, then yeah. what's mm-hmm. the point in forcing yourself? Yeah, all yeah. those student orgs or, like, Asian student orgs, like, TASA is also kind of a bubble, like, college yeah. is so big that, oh, because people in TASA, all their friends are, TASA, all their, all their friends are in the student org, and yeah. they date around people in the mm-hmm. same student org, so you don't really get the opportunity to, like, I guess, branch out and experience all the different things that college and people around you have to offer, like, even... This conference, like me and Ming were talking about, I wish there were more mm. like intersectional mm-hmm. activities, mm-hmm. like um, 
like about queer issues mm-hmm. about like anti-blackness which we know is a huge part of like asian americans yeah. Yeah. yeah don't say the n-word mm. just like um i wish there were kind of like more activities around that than mm-hmm. just are like i guess based on asian narrative like oh like we don't belong or like why kids made fun of my lunch or like mm-hmm. being a third culture kid because once you kind of resolve that yourself then like what's next you know mm-hmm. that's kind of like where i am like I, but now I'm not graduated. She's like, I don't need this. <laughs> but like, I'm just like, I want to grow more in that mm-hmm. aspect too. Yeah, no, I think that's a valid point because we are at different stages. And so how can, I think the easy answer to that is just you have like three rounds of workshops mm-hmm. and you have multiple speakers per workshop. So why not offer a more um, like diverse. intersectional, yeah. diverse speaker? And I think that's something that ETASA itself and TASA orgs have to work on because um one thing our TASA has like struggled with I guess is the idea of like where do you draw the line between social and like cultural cultural like how can you make it both cultural but also make people want to come out and not have it be a lecture so Mm -hmm. I think that's like hard and that's reflected in this conference too Mm -hmm. and reflect uh, I guess the organizers what they want out of it is kind of what we got um Mm -hmm. but yeah I would like to see more diverse at least more diverse topics like yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I, I don't. Maybe only it's talk the about workshops that, that mm-hmm. we went to, but um, yeah, it's like the same. Yeah, thing. I didn't realize that you went to two food workshops. Yeah, in a row. We, we, maybe we should have switched that up. Done more research. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I wish I could have gone to the Tai Chi one. Mm-hmm. That one sounded really cool. Yeah. And Tai Chi, my grandpa actually practices Tai Chi. Oh really? I don't know if he still yeah, does it now, too. but yeah, he used to do it in our driveway, mm-hmm. and <laughs> our neighbors would walk by and we'll like see. But yeah, it was something like I tried to learn as a kid, and then I just got impatient because the movements are so slow. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But I think um, like last year at the UPenn one, there was a drag queen um, yeah. speaker. Drag king. Drag yeah. king, sorry. Yeah. And that was like a really great, um, I don't know, perspective. It was different. And I could yeah. tell people were uncomfortable in the workshop, but that was like a good thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like growth or like uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. like the only speaker that I really like remember from mm-hmm. all the yeah, past. And I think that, that says something, yeah. yeah. We're like... Yes, we want people to feel comfortable and included so we can, like, talk about our feelings and, like, talk about what it means to be Asian, Taiwanese-American. Mm-hmm. But, like, at the same time, you sometimes it's good to feel uncomfortable, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't feel that. <laughs> but I guess that's up to us in the discussions we have after. Yeah. So, like, this conversation is good and we can carry it on to our friends. Mm-hmm. I just hope there's, like, more of that happening. Thank you all for listening to this episode. I hope that our opinions about our sharing our workshops with you and our opinions of them really give you some insight about what we learned this weekend. And I hope we could all take something away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're gonna go get ready for the banquet now. Yeah, let's go get dressed, <laughs> get fancy. If you like this episode, follow us on Instagram at Moving Along Pod, and make sure to rate or review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help spread the word about us. Mm-hmm. Also, if you have any more questions you'd like us to address, you can let us know by DMing us on Instagram or emailing us at movingulong at gmail.com. Until next time. Bye! Bye.